0: Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Job, the ninth chapter, and we got down to verse 12, so we pick up with verse 13, and this is Job acknowledging God's justice and shows that there's no reason to contend with God, though he does at times, and we find that he is complaining about a lot of things, and man's innocence is not to be condemned By afflictions, and we find that in verse 13 he says, If God will not withdraw his anger, the proud helpers do stoop under him. How much less, now he's talking about the the ungodly, the proud helpers do stoop under him. It says, How much less shall I answer him and choose out my words to reason with him? The true attitude of his affliction was that he would humble himself before God. That he would be lowly, prayerful, and have humility in the sight of God. He says, Whom though I were righteous, yet would I not answer, but I would make my supplication to my judge. He acknowledged that God is the lawgiver and God is the judge. And he had, uh, even if he were righteous, he wouldn't have any argument against God because it wouldn't hold up. He would not uh, be clear of all crimes. You know, a lot of times we claim our righteousness as as something, and uh, when we look in the face of God, we find it's not so good after all. And that's what Job was saying. He might be righteous before men, but before God, (laughs) you know, it's different, isn't it? You know, Isaiah was a prophet of God. And remember Isaiah, it says in the sixth chapter of the book of Isaiah, "In in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. He had had his mind on an earthly king that was a great king. And yet when Uzziah died, he says, I saw also the Lord. And then after his great vision, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, not dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king. So we can look at one another and claim our righteousness is pretty good. But when we look at God, we see it's not anything at all, is it? And so that's what he's saying here. He says, uh, whom, though I were righteous, yet would I not answer, but I would make, my, make supplication to my judge. He wouldn't be uh, able to argue with God at all. He says, If I had called and he had answered me, yet would I not believe that he had hearkened unto my voice? He couldn't trust that God would uh, listen to him, that God would so condescend to notice him to such a one as he felt himself to be. He says, I don't believe God would listen to me. Sometimes we believe God's not hearing, but he is. When the whole tale of Job is told and you get to the end of it, God was listening all the time. And sometimes we feel like the heavens are brass and God's not on the throne and nobody cares uh, on earth or in heaven. We know that he, he had evidence before him that his friends on earth didn't care a whole lot, uh, They pretended to care, and yet they condemned him on every side. And he goes on to talk about God. He says, For he breaketh me with a tempest, uh, and multiplieth my wounds without cause. He will not suffer me to take uh, my breath, and filleth me with bitterness. He won't even give me a chance to take my breath. He fills me with bitterness. If I speak of strength, lo, he is strong. In other words, he's stronger than I am, so what? I don't have anything. And if, if of judgment, who shall set me a time to plead? He couldn't judge himself or justify himself. If I justify myself, mine own mouth shall condemn me. Any attempt to justify myself would be foolish indeed, Job was saying. I, I, my own mouth would condemn me. If I say I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. You see, it's pretty hard for a sinful man to stand up and argue before God, isn't it? And Job recognized this. He says, though I were perfect, yet... Yet would I not know my soul, I would despise my life. He still wouldn't thoroughly understand himself. That's one thing men have to admit, that they don't really understand themselves. I wonder how many of us realize that the the fall that came through Adam and Eve has affected every faculty of our being, everything, our mind and our body, our whole being, our thoughts, our actions are all weighed in the balances and found wanting. are And uh, the only time we really realize that is when we see God as God. And, you know, at the end of the book, in the 42nd chapter, Job says, I've been talking and, and I've been arguing this and that and the other, not in those words, but he says, now mine eye has seen and my ear has heard and mine eye has seen. He saw God and he says, I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Because he had to finally see God before he came to this conclusion. But all the while he realized that it was not wise for him to argue against the Holy One. In verse 22, This is one thing, therefore I said, He destroyeth the perfect and the wicked. God sends punishment upon the righteous as well as the wicked. He destroyeth the perfect, the righteous, and the wicked. If the scourge slay suddenly, he will laugh at the trial of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He believes that wicked men prosper, doesn't he? The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of the judges thereof. If not, where and who is he? The worst possess the earth. The worst of men. And if you deal much in the public, you'll find that to be true. That's their goal. That's what they want. And they don't care how they possess. Remember old David in the 73rd Psalm. He says, When I saw the prosperity of the wicked... My feet were on slippery ground. He says, they, they speak out against the heavens. Uh, there's no uh, fear of death before them. They speak arrogantly. They speak with pride. They, they uh, curse God. And he says, all this. And he says, what does it profit me? He says, I'm chasing all the day long, Joe. Oh, uh, David says, I'm a pretty good fellow, but I try to live right, but I'm chasing all the day long. And he says, in the middle part of the 73rd Psalm, he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, listen carefully, Got in the presence of God, then understood I therein, surely thou hast set them in slippery places. You put them on slippery ground, and their destruction is going to come. And you see, seeing things in God's light makes all the difference in how we live and what we think of the world. You know, people get their eyes on the world, and the fellow that's making a lot of money and got uh, thousands and millions, and... Stored up and says, Soul, uh, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And he'll say like to the rich farmer, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be that thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure upon the earth and is not. It's all right to lay up treasure, but is not rich toward God. You see, you can have plenty, but you need to be rich toward God. And he spake that concerning covetousness in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus did. All right, back to this. Down in verse uh, the uh, twenty-four, the earth is given unto the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of the judges thereof, if not where and who is he? Now my days are swifter than a post or runner, as what is indicated. They flee away; they see no good. Job compares his days to just be going away as rapidly as a runner would take away, flee away. And he says, and they see no good. I don't have anything to look forward to. They are passed away as, as the swift ships or as the eagle that hasteth to the prey. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will leave off my heaviness and comfort myself. I'm afraid of all my sorrows. I know that thou wilt not hold me innocent. He wanted to force himself to... Uh, Forget his complaint and smile through it all. That's pretty hard to do when you're sitting in an ashy and covered with sores from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, isn't it? To smile through it all. He says, verse 29, If I be wicked, why then labor I in vain? Why am I complaining? If I'm wicked, I deserve what's coming to me. He says, if I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, a snow water is a more a detergent quality than regular water. Remember how the ladies used to, uh, in the rain barrel, they had the rain barrel under the gutter of the house and the, the downspout or over to the cistern or wherever, and they get rain water. they wash their hair and that rain water is soft. And it has a better effect. And so it, he says, If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet shalt thou plunge me into the ditch and my clothes shall abhor me. In other words, I will be abhorred anyway. He was saying, such is God's infinite purity and my uh, filth and my sores and my affliction that I couldn't purify myself however I tried. If I made myself ever so clean. Remember, Pilate tried to wash away his sins when he permitted Jesus to be condemned to, to death and to the cross. And he washed his hands and he says, I want you to know I'm clear of the blood of this just person. But that won't wash away our sins. You can't wash away your sins with water. You can't even wash them away wash them away in the baptismal waters, like a lot of people claim. They have to be washed away. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 says, Who hath loved us and washed us from our sins, listen, in his own blood, not in baptismal waters in his own blood. All right, look at this. And that's by faith in the redemptive blood of Christ that we're made clean. Verse 32, for he is not a man as I am that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. He says, I can't argue with him. He's God. I could argue. He argued with these men, didn't he? His three miserable comforters, his three friends that stared at him for seven days and nights before they spoke a word as he sat there in his affliction. And then when they did, each one of them had their a- idea. They'd already figured out which way they were going to, to bring about Job's condemnation. And one of them spake of the voice of uh, of tradition, uh, the voice of experience, the voice of tradition, and then the voice of, uh, of uh, legalism is chapter 11. We're going to get into that in the 11th chapter. We haven't met yet Zophar, who speaks against Job with the voice of of legalism. And you you can take any one of these avenues and condemn anyone for anything that's happening in their lives. Did you know that? Whatever your situation is, I don't care what it is, someone can take any one of those voices, the voice of, of experience, say, well, now I have seen, and they can outdo you. They can say, uh, uh, of old time it happened this way, the voice of tradition, it's always been this way, and they can condemn you. Or they can go from the legalistic standpoint and find a way to condemn you. And at the end of it, God said that they spake not right concerning Job. And he says, if they'll offer some sacrifices, a burnt offering, burnt sacrifice, and then ask Job to pray for them, then I'll forgive them. You see, the shoe was on the other foot at the end of it. But let's look at this. It says in verse 33, neither is there any days, man betwixt us that "...that uh, might lay his hand upon us both." There's no mediator. In other words, the daysman, or the time that you would have your day in court, so to speak, and have a representative, one to negotiate and one to plead your case, a mediator. And evidently, Job had not yet found out what Paul told us in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 2, verse, and fi- verse 5, where he says, "...but there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus." And there finally did come to be a daysman or a mediator. And Job says, I wish I had a man that could lay his hand upon myself and upon God and bring us together. You know who that man is? Jesus, isn't he? That's the man that did it. And that's the man that does it today. He's the one and only mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus is not the preacher. it's not a priest. it's not a, a glorified saint. it's not the Virgin Mary. It's the one mediator. The man Christ Jesus. And that's the only one. He says, neither is there any daysman, the word in the margin says umpire, one that should argue, uh, and that might lay his hand upon us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not his fear terrify me. He wish God would just remove this rod of judgment. Then would I speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. He says, uh, I'm not so. This is not so with myself. Job imagined and and hoped for a lot of good things and a lot of things that would settle the argument between his affliction and between uh, why God would bring it about and settle the dispute. And he really didn't know that God was only permitting him to be tried by Satan, remember? And so, uh, in the midst of it all, that's all he was wanting. But he says, it's not so with me. It just won't work for me. And then in chapter 10, I want you to notice by the way, Randy touched on it a little bit ago. My soul, I want you to see this. My soul is weary of my life. There's two different words, soul and life. I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. There's two words, uh, N-E-P-H-E-S-H, the soul or immortal mind. This refers to that. And C-H-A-I means animal life. And the soul here, or the immortal mind, is distinguished from uh, the animal life. We have life like an animal, but we also have a soul like man, an animal doesn't have it. And that passage Brother, brother Randy mentioned it uh, a little bit ago in the Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I it, it would be well if you'd look at this, it might do you some good. Verse 19, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 19. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them. As one dies, so dies the other. That's true. A man dies and the beast dies, doesn't he? With respect to the mortality of their bodies and animal life is the same, in a sense, in both man and beast. Because we both go back to the dust, though. We both die. But look. Yea, they have all one breath. That is, life. The breath of life so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. Now listen carefully. All is vanity. Now then, the next verse. And all go into one place, all are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. He's talking about the body, isn't it? And your so-called Jehovah's Witnesses will stop reading right there, because they can't explain the next verse. They say, see, man, when a man dies, he's just like a dead dog. And... uh, He goes back to the dust. We believe that when a man dies, his spirit goes to God. And we believe that the Bible says to be absent from this body that goes back to the dust is to be present with the Lord. So something's present with the Lord. That body's not present with the Lord. It's in the ground, right? But look at the next verse. It says, Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward and the spirit of beast that goeth downward to the earth? Spirit Here is a proper distinction is made between man and beast. The immortal spirit of man that goeth upward, the sons of Adam, the sons of uh, man, man, but his spirit goes upward. It goes to God. And that's why they don't read that verse, because they don't want to tell you that that man has a spirit and he departs to be with God instead of uh, sleeping in the ground and is dead until... Uh, They do believe in the resurrection, but they believe that man doesn't go in the presence of God. That's where most of your cults, apart from Scripture. In fact, the biggest part of them, not only Jehovah's Witnesses, but Christian scientists and others. And uh, there's a whole lot of them. You know, Mary Baker, Eddie Glover, Patterson. I don't know which order they came in, but she had about five husbands. Anyway, uh, and she was the one that wrote... uh, Science and Health and Key to the Scriptures, and, and in her book, this, if there was no other statement in it but this, it would be enough to condemn the whole thing. She says, there is no blood sacrifice, however great, can atone for the sins of man. That's an outright denial of the redemptive and atoning blood of Jesus, isn't it? So have nothing whatsoever to do with it. Some people say, well, oh, they believe this, they believe that, mind over matter situations. Well, whatever they believe, it's wrong because a little leaven is leaven the whole lump. And just leave it alone. When you find someone wrong on one fundamental of the faith, leave it alone because they'll be wrong somewhere else down the line. You just don't have anything to do with it. And... So uh, as far as the spirit of man, let's turn back to Job again. We, we have the very same thing in Job chapter 10, verse 1. My soul is weary of my life. In other words, he's speaking of the fact that he had a, a soul, an immortal soul, but his life, his, his body was about to, you know, he was covered with sores from the top of his head to the sole of his feet, and he felt like he, he really wished he had died. Remember, he said, I wish I'd never been born. He wished he could die. So that's why he said, my soul is weary of my life. It needs to be set free from this, this body. And he says uh, in the uh, notice, my soul is weary of my life. I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say unto God, do not condemn me. Show me wherefore thou contendest with me. What's the reason? He's saying, God, why are you doing this to me? In other words, if I'm affliction, uh, if, if I'm afflicted, because of my sins. Tell me, what, what about my sins? Tell, show me my sins. See, he's contending with God. It is good unto thee that thou shouldest oppress, that thou shouldest despise the work of thine hands, and shine upon... He says, is it good unto thee? I, I want to get that straight because it's a question. Is it good unto thee that thou shouldest oppress? He's asking God. That thou shouldest despise the work of thine hands? He's the work of God's hands. And shine upon the counsel of the wicked... Am I so wicked that I deserve this? Hast thou eyes of flesh, or seest thou as man seeth? Can you feel what I'm feeling? Are thy days as the days of man? Are thy years as man's days? Man cannot be compared to to God. He says, That thou inquirest after mine iniquity and searchest after my sin. He says, God has searched us out, He knows all about us. Look at verse 7. Thou knowest that I am not wicked. And there is none that can deliver out of thine hand. He says, God, you know everything. Thine hands have made me and fashioned me together round about, yet thou dost destroy me. He says, God, you know all about me, and yet you are destroying me. In verse 9. Remember, I beseech thee, that thou hast made me as clay and will... Wilt thou bring me into dust again? He knew that this clay was not a permanent condition. Wilt thou bring me to dust again? He knew the time would come that he would be brought back to dust again. You read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and you know what it says there? It says, if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, he says, we know. Paul says, for we know if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, this body of clay, back to dust again. We have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He says, in this tabernacle we do groan being burdened, desiring to be clothed upon with our house from heaven. We groan being burdened. We're burdened with a lot of things in this life, aren't we? Trials, temptations, our sins, our old carnal nature, our feelings of inadequacy, our feelings of sinfulness, our feelings of... Uh, when we go through trials and sufferings. In this tabernacle, we do groan, being burdened. And it's common to men, isn't it? But he says, and earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with that house which is from heaven. And then he says to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. He says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Okay, look at this now. In verse... uh, Remember, I beseech thee, that thou hast made me as as the clay, and wilt thou thou bring me into dust again? Hast thou not poured me out as milk, and curdled me like cheese? Thou hast clothed me with skin and flesh, and hast fenced me with bones and sinews. In other words, you have made me a human being, and you have clothed me with flesh, and you have fenced me in with bones and sinews. Thou hast granted me life and favor, and thy visitation hath preserved my spirit. In other words, you've given me an actual existence among the sons of men. I have an actual physical body existing here, but I have a spirit as well. You know, you and I can get a lot if we'll listen to God's Word. We, this we live in is just a house. That's all in the world it is. And the real you is not... You say, well, I saw brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. You saw them. You saw their flesh. You saw their being. But to really see them... In the light of God, you would have to see their spiritual uh, personality, so to speak. You'd have to see what's inside of that body. You'd have to see that individual as far as his character and his, his standing and his holiness and his uh, condition, existence before God. Remember, uh, the Bible says, God seeth not as man seeth. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. God sees the real person. He not only sees us outwardly, but he sees the real person. And so when we uh, see the outward appearance, that amounts to a little bit, but not as much as it is to see that individual for what he is and who he is. There's some wonderful characters of men that are real men. And women and boys and girls. And we only see that when we come to know how they stand with God and who they really are and what they'll do and their faithfulness and their trustworthiness and their goodness and their love and their concern. We only see them when we see that inside. We don't see that when they outside. It says in verse thirteen, And these things thou hast thou hid in thine heart. I know that I know that this is with thee. God, you understand all about this. If I sin, then thou markest me, and thou wilt not acquit me, uh, acquit me from mine iniquity. He says in verse 15, If I be wicked, woe unto me, and if I be righteous, yet will I not lift up my head. He says, If I'm wicked, I deserve to be punished. If I'm righteous, yet he still had not anything to be proud of, because he knew his righteousness wouldn't stand very uh, far in the sight of God. Yet will I not lift up my head. I'm full of confusion. He was saying, therefore, see thou mine affliction. He said, I can't see it, but you can see it. I can't see myself really as I am, but he knew God could see it. He was confounded uh, at his state and circumstances. I am full of confusion. Does that fit anybody? Do you ever understand God's dealings and why God permits sufferings and trials and all these things to happen? He said, I don't understand this. You know, I'm confused. If God loves me so much, why am I going through this situation? But he does. He says, uh, I can't see it, but you can see it. Therefore, see thou mine affliction. You look on it in the right way. And God does. He looks on it in the right way. He knows all about it. And you can't help but get to the conclusion of this from time to time to, to prove the fact that God was just waiting till everything worked out. And Satan got through with all of his uh, testings and trials against, uh, and his temptations against Job and his affliction of Job where God would turn it again and give Job the victory out of through all of his sufferings. So you can see that you have to anticipate the end uh, once in a while as we read all of this that Job didn't understand. And I'm sure we would have been as anxious to know the end of it as Job was, or more so. Job was really anxious to know why all this was happening. Therefore, see thou mine affliction. Verse 16, For it increases, thou huntest me as a fierce lion. And again, thou showest thyself marvellous upon me. Thou, thou renewest thy witnesses against me, and increasest thine indignation upon me. Changes and war are against me. He says, "All this is. Wherefore then hast thou brought me forth out of the womb?" Job was complaining very bitterly of God's treatment to him, and he says, "Why did you bring me out of the womb? Oh, that I had given up the ghost, and no eye had seen me." He wishes that. He had never been born. You know, Job never did curse the Lord, but he cursed the day of his birth, and he desired the day of his death. But in all this, he didn't sin against God in saying, God, you're to blame for all this. He contended with him. He wanted to know why. He had many questions, as we all do. And he never did curse God like his wife wanted him to when he was smitten from the top of his head to the sole of his feet, lost his family and his possessions. You know, I found something in the first chapter. Look back there. In chapter 1, when we first read it, Chapter one. I wonder if there's any reason. Verse two and verse three. I want you to notice the word seven and the word word three. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. Look at verse three now. That was verse two I read. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was seven thousand sheep and three thousand camels. Seven and three. See that? And then you come down to five is the number of of uh, grace. "...and five hundred yoke of oxen, and five hundred she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all men of the East." Compare your sevens in verse uh, 2 and verse 3. Compare the threes in verse 2 and verse 3. might be meaningful. Let's get back to this now. We're in chapter uh, 10, verse 18. Wherefore then hast thou brought me forth out of the womb? O that I had given up the ghost, and know I had seen me. I should have been as though I had not been. I should have been carried from the womb to the grave. If he was born, he should have died right then when he was born. Remember, earlier he complained and said that he wished he had never even been conceived. And then he wished he had been stillborn. And that's as much the same thing. Are not my days few? Cease then. He says, God... Just why don't you stop it for a while just let it, and let me alone that I may take comfort a little he wanted he says i don't have much time left my days are few and he says I want to have a little comfort in verse 21 before I go whence I shall not return even to the land of darkness and the shadow of death a land of darkness is darkness itself and the shadow of death without any order and where the light is is darkness later on job begins to see and he asks the question I believe it's in the Next chapter, No, it's in the 14th chapter where he says in verse 14, If a man dies, shall, uh, shall he live again? But in the 14th chapter, he asks the question. And then in the 19th chapter, God gives him the grace enough to answer it. Remember in the 19th chapter, he, he says in 14, verse 14, If a man dies, shall he live again? Then he says, All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. Then he says in the 19th chapter, Oh, that my words were now written, that they were printed in a book, that they were graven with an iron pen. And, uh, let's see how it's worded. Uh, and laid in the rock forever. And he says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though after my skin worms destroy this body. Yet in my flesh shall I see God, He be resurrected, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within Him, in me. He answered the question, didn't he? But he answered it after a long struggle. But back in chapter ten, uh, verse uh, twenty-two. He says it's a land of darkness, as darkness itself, and the shadow of death without any order, and where light is as darkness. He didn't have much hope at this point. Then chapter 11 introduces another one of his friends. Look in chapter 11, verse 1, right on down. Always just follow your place where we're studying. Then answered Zophar, the Namathite, and said... Should not the multitude of words be answered? He says, Job, you've talked too much. He says, Job, you're boastful. You're bragging about all this. And shouldn't they be answered? This voice of legalism, we're going to find that uh, Zophar is fully convinced that Job is suffering because of his sins. He's going to say, Job, this is the way it is. You're boastful about this situation. And and he follows the same line of l. Eliphaz and Bildad, and he insists that if Job would put away his iniquity, his sufferings would pass away, soon be forgotten, security and prosperity, and happiness would return to him. And he had this idea that, Job, you've got to suffer this out because you deserve it, and it's legally binding, you, you, you're getting what you deserve. And so that's the avenue or the uh, way that he approaches Job. Look at it again, verse 1. Then answered Zophar, the name of and said, Should not the multitude of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be justified? He said, Job, you're just full of talking. Should lies make men hold their peace? And when thou mockest, shall no man make thee ashamed? He says, I'm here to convince you and convict you of your sins. I'm I'm not going to hold back. Oh, Zophar says, listen, I'm here to tell you uh, what you need to, to be brought under conviction. You ever have some people like that? A lot of preachers like that get a hold of some suffering saint, and they'll come in. Now, look, this is your problem. Now, if you just repent of your sins, well, we all need to repent of our sins. The preacher as well as the pews, right? The ones in the pews. So, to, to start coming down on someone saying, say, now, if you'll just repent, everything will be all right, and you'll be through with this problem. No, you won't understand the mysteries of God when you do repent. Because a lot of times repentance and faith, we know, go together and it brings salvation. And yet, on the other hand, a lot of times bad things happen to good people. And we don't understand all these mysteries. But Zophar says, oh, yeah, I do. He says, and I'm going to be the one that will show you why you need to repent. For thou hast said, my doctrine is pure. And I'm clean in thine eyes. He says, Job, you've claimed that your your teaching is right and that you're clean in the eyes of God. And he says, but oh, that God would speak and open his lips against thee. Old Zophar says, I wish God had talked to you. I wish God had come down on you. And when God did open his lips to Job, it wasn't like Zophar intended, was it? When God opened his lips to Job, he says, Job... uh, You're forgiven and everything's okay. And he says, if you'll pray for these three friends of yours and they'll offer a burnt sacrifice, well, I'll forgive them too. (laughs) So he says, oh, but oh, that God would speak and open his lips against thee. Against thee. He didn't say, you know, look, he already has his mind made up. He didn't say, Job, if God would just speak and bring comfort to you and show you your needs. Or, or, you know, he, he wasn't coming from a sympathetic and... And an instructive point of view at all. You know, the Bible says in the New Testament, Paul told Timothy, he said, Preach the word. He said, Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove and rebuke and exhort with what? With all long suffering and doctrine and teaching and instruction. These fellows weren't doing that. They were reproving and rebuking with no avenue out, you know. And they were blaming someone. Uh, and, and coming to a conclusion before they know all, knew all the facts. He says, And that he would show thee the secrets of wisdom, that they are double to that which is. Know therefore that God exacteth of thee less than thine iniquity deserveth. He says, Job, you, you, you didn't get half what you deserved. Less. Look at that again. Know therefore that God exacteth of thee less than thine iniquity deserveth. He said that God should... Uh, bring more trouble upon Job and increase it because of Job's iniquity. Well, wouldn't you hate to be as bad off as Job was, and someone say you not you're not gone far enough yet? Well, that would be horrible. And he lost all of his possessions. He lost the houses wherein his sons and, and daughters lived, and evidently his own house. And I don't know what he where he was living. I guess in the wilderness or whatever. But anyway, all of this, and then he was smitten from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet with sore balls and with sores all over. And he sat in an ash heap and wept of his condition. And he took a piece of broken pottery and scraped the sores and wounds on his body. And then this guy says, Job, you don't have half of what you deserve. It's less than thine iniquity it deserves. Boy, I tell you, with, with friends like that, who needs any enemies, huh? Boy, I'm telling you, I'd like for... Job says, you know, when a man's in this condition, he says, sympathy ought to, pity should be shown to him. <laughs> I can understand that. I say, Job, I'm with you. Just show me a little mercy. Instead of standing there and condemning me about all this, telling me I'm a great sinner, canst thou by searching find out God? Now, look, he starts dealing with how mighty God is. Well, Job knew how almighty God was. Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the almighty unto perfection? He said, Job, do you know anything about God? (laughs) Wouldn't it be awful for a man to be, as God said, when Satan came to accuse Job? He says he's a perfect. He says, have you considered, he said to Satan. Have you considered, God God spoke to Satan, he says, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in all the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, or shuns evil? He says, Have you found a man like that anywhere? And here, this guy says, "Uh, Do you know anything about God? It it is as high as heaven. What canst thou do? Deeper than hell. What canst thou uh, know? The measure thereof is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he cut off and shut up or gather together, then who can hinder him? Well, it's true. God has all this power. What Zophar was saying, you know, was true. God is mighty and he's all-powerful. And no man really knows God to that extent. But he said, Job, you don't know anything about it. Verse 11, For he knoweth vain men, he seeth wickedness also. He's saying, Job, he knows you. He sees your wickedness also. Will he not then consider? For vain men would be wise, though man be born... Uh, like a wild ass's colt. If thou prepare thine heart... Now, he said, Job, if you'll just do this. <laughs> this is the words you've got to say. This is what you've got to do. If thou prepare thine heart, and stretch out thy hands toward him, if iniquity be in thine hand, put it far from thee, let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacles. He says, Job, if you would just put away iniquity, if you just turn to God, everything would be all right. By the way, only God can put away iniquity. And is put away through his sacrifice. It says, For then shalt thou lift up thy face without spot, yea, thou shalt be steadfast, and shalt not fear. He's showing the results of such a condition before God. And it's true that if, if Job was in such a situation that he needed to confess his sin and get uh, atonement made for it, that all these blessed results would have come to him. And it's, and here are the results. Notice there uh, kind of eight, I believe they're eightfold in verse fifteen beginning. For then thou shalt, uh, shalt thou lift up thy face without spot, Yea, thou shalt be steadfast and shalt not fear. In verse sixteen, because thou shalt uh, forget thy misery and remember it as the waters that pass away, And thine age shall be as clear uh, be clearer than noonday. Thou shalt shine forward, thou shalt be as morning, and thou shalt be secure because there is hope. Yea, thou shalt dig about thee, and thou shalt take thy rest in safety, and also thou shalt lie down, and none shall make thee afraid, yea, many shall make uh, suit unto thee. He was telling them about, about all God would do for him. But he says, But the eyes of the wicked shall fail, and they shall not escape, and their hope shall be as the giving up of the ghost. For Zophar made his speech, and now Job answers him. And Job answered and said, No doubt, but ye are people, and wisdom shall die with you. <laughs> he says, You know, that without a doubt, you're the wisest people on the earth, and when you die, there will be no wisdom left.